CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everyone. What a crazy afternoon it's been. It is 4.17 p.m. on January 10th, and we have a Spot Bitcoin ETF approval. We've been waiting for this for months, years on end. And here we are to discuss it. So joining me today, we have Coindesk journalist Lean Braun, who's been following the ETF story since the very, very beginning. We have Cynthia Murphy, Director of Research at ETF Think Tank, and Ryan Rasmussen, researcher at Bitwise. Thanks for joining the Twitter space. I am going to call you up first, Colleen. You'll be moderating this conversation with me today. And, you know, it wasn't uh, an easy launch. It wasn't a straightforward launch. Very true to the crypto ethos. There was a little bit of drama on the way in a hacked X account yesterday, and then a published announcement that was then deleted. Cynthia, I'm going to call on you. Um, you've been following the ETF story very closely. The approval was published on the SEC website. It was then deleted. There was an error notification on the page. Talk us through what happened. Yeah, it's it's been so crazy. We I don't even think any of us had the time to read the approval uh, statement that came out before it disappeared. Um, I've heard of the the website crashed. Uh, I've, I don't know if it was a mistake, if it really was that much volume. Who knows? But at this point, I don't think anything surprises us in this in this race. What's crazy, I think, has been for us in the ETF space is that we've been talking about spot Bitcoin ETF for more than a decade. So. It's been like such a slow drip with nothing happened for so many years. And then the last three days, it's like we haven't slept, we haven't showered, we haven't eaten. And, uh, you know, in the last 20 minutes, it feels like the world is a different place. So uh, earlier today, I was uh, talking to the folks at Hashtags and, you know, we talked to the CIO there. And so how does he feel to be part of this race, which I'd love to hear Ryan's take since he's with Bitwise. So and. First of all, congrats, Ryan, on the win. That's a huge win for you guys, product providers. Very exciting moment. But uh, he described this whole experience as a roller coaster that's been equal parts really frustrating and exciting at the same time uh, as for being part of this race. So it, it's been it's been crazy. Um, I'm sure we'll have our hands on this approval notice. I think what we are waiting now is for the the next step, which is the S1 filing approvals. Typically, there's no clock on those things. The 19B4s have a, a timestamp. The S1s don't have a clock on them, so they don't necessarily come immediately after these approvals. It can take time. 
But from everything I've heard and everyone I talked to, the expectation is these S1 approvals, which is a form uh, that's necessary for these ETS to launch, will also come in today within this next hour. At least that's the projection that's out there. So it could all happen today and these funds can be live tomorrow. So we'll see. We'll see if that's how it all unfolds. Ryan, are you guys popping champagne over there? Everyone's virtually high-fiving. What is going on? How are you feeling right now? Oh, oh man, it is. Uh, it's it's certainly exciting. I'm a little bewildered at how these events have unfolded over the past 24 hours, and still, to be completely honest, not entirely sure what's what's going on. I mean, we uh, we, we simply just don't know if that was intended to be posted by the SEC uh, before market close, and haven't haven't seen any updates to that webpage since then. And so, I think there's a there's there's you know champagne bottles being popped, but still kind of waiting to pour to pour it and, and uh, cheers until we have more concrete confirmation. But it's it's been wild. And this has been uh, pretty like the most Bitcoin thing that could ever really, really happen over the past 24 hours, I think has, which is just fascinating and, and a lot of fun to be a part of. All right. For those of you who are just joining, we are talking about the spot Bitcoin ETF approvals here in the United States. We've been waiting a really, really long time for this and they just came through um minutes ago helene braun journalist at coindesk has been following the story since the very beginning helene i know you've been having wi-fi issues can you hear us are you with us all right i think that it's just not gonna work out for helene so cynthia ryan you are stuck with me i want to remind you both that there are no formalities here in Twitter spaces. You can jump in and chat. We are here to have a discussion and audience members will be taking questions at the end. So if you have questions, just raise your hand and we'll be sure to get to them. Now, Cynthia, I'm going to come back to you. The quickness of these filings that you just mentioned, is that typical? Is that something that's normal when you get an ETF approval like this? Or does that usually take some time? So for the approvals that we supposedly already got, to Ryan's point, uh, the website is crashed, so we are sure, but only 99% sure. Uh, that's really like uh, the 19 befores, as we keep re uh, referencing them. They're, they're approval for the exchanges. So basically, it means the stock exchanges now uh, can have these types of products listed on their boards. That's all that means. The next step, which is this S1 filing, is actually the details to each fund, and the SEC can be still doing comments on them. We saw a lot of filings today, like updating different things, details on risks or disclosures or whatever it is. Uh, and those, I mean, they can take any time. It can be that the SEC approves that, you know, these products can, can exist on an exchange, but then doesn't approve an S1 filing for, I don't know, a month, six months, they just sit there on comment phase forever. So, uh, you know, there is no time clock on those. However, um, after, you know, 10 years on this and all this hype, the expectation is that all these S1 filings will be approved as today or maybe tomorrow at the latest. Uh, and these funds will be trading anytime between tomorrow and, and Tuesday. I'm sure um, maybe Ryan has, has more insight given that they're directly dealing with the SEC directly. But from where we sit, the expectation is that these S1 approvals will also follow very quickly so that we can just rip this Band-Aid off in one swoop and move on with our lives and watch these funds trade on the exchanges and, and see what happens next. Yes, it's uh, it's definitely been 
uh, wild to see this unfold and really a lot of anticipation. Uh, like, like you mentioned, there's a few steps to get an ETF approved. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the crypto industry don't follow ETFs closely. I've certainly followed them closer over the past year than I ever thought I, I would. And uh, so the 19B4 approvals is what we're looking for first, and and that's uh, filing for a rule change. And then the S1, the Form S1 approvals is essentially the the fund prospectus, and then uh, and then after that, you know, once you have approval for those, they can be listed and actually trading. So um, yeah, there can be a delay between when the the 19B4 is approved and then the S1 is approved, and so. Um, you know, it looks like from what people are, from what I'm seeing, just basically out on Twitter from screenshots from different platforms and a lot of the news flow. I think the the general sentiment is that there might not be a long delay, but you know, I I can't speak to any particular filing for compliance reasons or anything like that. But we're certainly excited that this is all happening and and uh, in the way that it's happening. But big deal, ETFs are you know one of the main ways that most professional investors access markets and. A lot of them have been able to access crypto because of compliance reasons and because there hasn't been a traditional investment vehicle like an ETF on the market uh, for the past 10 plus years. And so this is a huge milestone. This is kind of a moon landing moment for Bitcoin and for crypto more broadly. Ryan, talk to me about the flows that you're predicting over the next few months. Of course, we've all been waiting for this. Um, I haven't even taken a look at the price of Bitcoin, but it it looks like not much has happened since we got the approval. Um, does that shock you? And what kind of flows are we expecting? This has been so crazy. I've been so glued to Twitter and refreshing the SEC website that I haven't even taken a moment to look at the price chart, which uh, was kind of a funny feeling because I think most most people in the space are just you know fixated on what happens to the price following potential approvals of these ETFs. So um, you know it's not moving yet. I think there's still a little bit of uncertainty in the market, and I think you know these ETFs aren't aren't approved for trading certainly yet, and so we haven't seen the impact of of what the flows coming into the funds would eventually do to the price of Bitcoin, right? There's a lot of excitement around front running the opportunity and buying and selling the news, which certainly impacts the price, but in our opinion, the, the bigger impact on the price of Bitcoin that the ETFs will have will be from the amount of capital that's now deployed into Bitcoin as an asset uh, into these ETFs. And that drives the price up because you have a you know, bunch of demand that's been sidelined and waiting for this type of investment vehicle to come into the space. And with you know, ETFs being approved uh, and being listed on New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ and the CBOE, that means that any brokerage account and essentially any uh, banking platform or any trading platform that investors use, re whether they're retail investors or traditional prof uh, investment professionals, financial advisors, RIA, et cetera, any of those investors now can access Bitcoin with one or two clicks of a button. Whereas before you had to use a centralized exchange, obviously like Coinbase or a decentralized exchange. And uh, for you know the early part of Bitcoin's existence, you had to mess around with some complicated technology that's not very user friendly. And so this is certainly a huge moment. We think that the flows into a spot Bitcoin ETF will be will be major. We released some predictions at the end of 2023, about a month ago, looking at the future of Bitcoin and what these spot ETFs could mean. And we think that once these launch, they will be the biggest ETF launch of all time. Uh, we're, we're measuring that by the amount of flows that happened in the first year. And we think those flows could top five billion in in the first year, and so that's really exciting. It's a, it might seem like a small amount in the grand scheme of things when you think about Bitcoin being a near trillion uh, dollar asset, but 
you know, 5 billion into an asset in year one. We think it could grow up to 55 to 75 billion over the next five years. The ETF market is about 7 trillion in the US. And if Bitcoin can take 1% of that market with the spot Bitcoin ETF, that would put it at about a 70 billion uh, AUM ETF. And so we're, we're expecting to be flows. Certainly people have come out and said that the flows could be higher. I think we saw Standard Chartered say that they think flows could top uh, 50 billion to 100 billion in the first year. Or so I think the the uh, predictions are pretty widespread, but either way, you have increasing demand and sideline capital that can now access the space. And that's really, really promising for the future of Bitcoin as an asset. All right. I have to welcome a special guest who can't stay for the entire Twitter spaces, but made the time to chat with us here. Matthew Siegel, head of digital assets research at Vanek. Matthew, congratulations. What's the what's the vibe over there, you guys? I asked Ryan if they're popping champagne at Bitwise as confetti falling from the ceiling. Yeah, it's a super positive vibe over here, although we're still waiting uh, for the S1s to go effective, which will, you know, 101% clear the path for all of these products to trade tomorrow. Uh, but it's, um, it's exciting over here. Jan just sent a photo of his uh, Bitcoin outfit hanging in his closet. We're having a, a HODL party on Thursday. That's the ticker of our proposed ETF, HODL. And we're just super gratified that after seven years of trying to bring this product to market, uh, we have the chance to dramatically uh, lower the costs for end users to access Bitcoin. And we estimate that investors are going to save more than 90% compared to the retail experience of transacting on Coinbase. And we just ask, like, when was the last time a 10x improvement in costs to access a new technology didn't catalyze much wider adoption of that technology? So we think there's going to be $2 billion plus of new inflows uh, over the first couple of days. Uh, we've seen uh, many of the issuers uh, lower their fees in recent days. So it's just extremely um, across the range of products. They look very competitively priced versus doing business on exchange. Um, and, you know, that's that's very attractive, both for retail and for institutional. But the early flows are likely to come more from the retail side because the investment advisors, the regulated investment advisors who control 30-odd trillion dollars of assets, they will not yet be cleared to buy these products in client accounts from day one on a discretionary basis. They'll have to take orders from the clients. And it's only as these larger uh, wirehouses, as they're called, the, Mer the Morgan Stanleys and the Merrill Lynches, they're going to start releasing like new versions of the 60-40 model. And it'll be something like, you know, 60-38-2. Uh, and that will clear the way for advisors to start, you know, putting those passive flows to work uh, into the BTC ETFs. Um, and, you know, I think in the end, a lot of these products are going to be pretty similar. But uh, at Vanek, we've put a lot of effort into education and table setting. Um, you'll see from our SEC filing that we seeded uh, HODL with $72 million of our own money, which to our knowledge is the largest such seed among all the sponsors. Uh, we've got 200 pieces of, of Bitcoin research on our website. Uh, and, you know, we think the ticker symbols uh, can be a difference maker. So. Uh, very much looking forward to tomorrow. Amazing. Now that we have all the celebration out of the way, let's dive a little bit deeper uh, into the conversation. Cynthia, I'm going to tap 
you back in. Of course, there was a little bit of a fee war over the past few days with the asset managers um, listing and relisting their fees, seemingly lower and lower. I know Matthew and Ryan uh, were a part of that. Uh, Cynthia, talk to me about what the main driver is going to be behind popularity for these ETFs. They were, of course, all approved at the same time. Is it going to be fees? Is it going to be assets under management? Maybe marketing, reputation? What do you think? Yeah, this space, uh, this race is so unique because we've never had before um, 11 funds come in at once uh, at the same moment, creating a whole new category with nobody coming first and then people coming up with ways to differentiate later as they follow that the pioneer. So it's it's been fascinating to watch, you know, the few wars because Pretty much all of these products are very, very similar. They're providing exposure to spot Bitcoin in very, very similar ways. DeFi from hashtags is perhaps the most different one because they're still transacting in the futures market uh, and converting to to Bitcoin, but they're going to keep both components in that portfolio. But so the point is differentiation is really hard here because these strategies are extremely similar. So then fee becomes a big differentiator. But right now we have at least half of the funds at 0% fee with some form of a fee waiver. So even that differentiation is kind of going away. So then you go to probably brand and, and expertise. Uh, and, you know, sometimes like anything else, um, people tend to be loyal to different brands. I think what's interesting in this space, uh, and I love that Venac is here and Bitwise is here, because from, from where I sit, I think there's a, you know, an important distinction here between the true specialists in the space, the people with the conviction in the space, and, you know, more of the, the commoditizers of the space. So uh, there's been a lot that has been said, it's not news, but a lot of skepticism about, say, a BlackRock and how, how much conviction does he have in this space? I mean, when you see the last, the last couple of years for them, it's been all about ESG. And just last week, we heard about all the layoffs that are coming ESG because he hasn't delivered. That doesn't suggest long-term conviction. It suggests more of a, uh, you know, chasing an opportunity. So more power to them. But, you know, as an investor, these are the things you're going to be looking for. You know, who is the manager that you want to trust with your Bitcoin exposure? At where are your values aligned? What, what's the, the brand you like? because there's not a lot of other differentiation. So I think one way to think about it would be specialists versus not, um, maybe experience in the marketplace versus not. Uh, the fees are, are going to be interesting. I'm really curious actually to see how these fees unfold because in the ETF space, um, the fee waivers haven't always been, they're not used often and they haven't been always very effective. Uh, I, I like to think of them as some a lot of times one-way trips to zero, uh, you, you go that way and it's really hard to bring them back. And, and so you see a lot of times when, a, when an issuer starts with a fee waiver, they expire six months, but they get prolonged and they get extended for another 12 months. And it's really hard to get out of that. So I'm super curious to see how, how these get implemented and how do they get rolled back when these milestones are hit or the time frame is hit. So the whole thing here is is very unprecedented and differentiation is is tricky. So it, it's been I'm, I'm very interesting to see how the, the providers have dealt with that. Ryan, Matthew, I'd love to get your reaction there. It's not every day. We actually have people who can respond, Cynthia, to your to your commentary. How are you both 
looking at fees and differentiating yourselves? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's right. It, it's difficult to differentiate a product that from a you know 10,000 foot level offers the same type of access to Bitcoin. And there's a few different uh, variables at, at which these are, you know, that, that these are different. Um, and one would be the fee structure. The other would be, as you said, you know, expertise in the area. You have you know, crypto specialists that have been in the industry and working in the industry to educate advisors and bring these types of structured products to professional investors for six, seven years. And then you have large financial institutions that are you know, well known around the world that are just getting into the space in this last year. And I think, uh, you know, one element to look at is, is it competitively, competitively priced? Another element is you know, how can I, can I get in contact with them if I want to trade or, or make uh, executions on large orders? And, and that could be meaningful to some investors who care quite a bit about uh, execution and, and pricing on trades. And then, you know, are they going to be a crypto partner for the future? Is this something that they are, as an issuer, spending a little bit of time on? Or is this something that they focus on 24-7, 365? And I know, you know, us at Bitwise, we spend all day, every day, fully dedicated to crypto. And we're here to answer questions anytime advisors have them around crypto from everything to what is Bitcoin to what is Ethereum to how do stable coins work? What are NFTs? What does crypto gaming mean? And, you know, for some investors that may not matter too much and they may just open their, their terminals or brokerage accounts and find whatever ticker pops up first and whatever has the lowest or close to the lowest cost. But for some investors, especially you know the thousands of clients that we work with and have, have uh, worked with over the past few years, they really appreciate having experts in the space at their fingertips. And so uh, I think that will be a large differentiator. I hope that will be a large differentiator among these different issuers. But ultimately, uh, I think we'll have to see where flows go and see how that see how that works out. Matthew, we got to address the elephant in the room here, and that is Grayscale bringing $27 billion worth of Bitcoin to this. I believe there was an article on Coindesk the other day that said Grayscale is bringing a gun to a knife fight. How are you thinking about differentiating yourselves when looking at Grayscale, having that little bit of competitive advantage over the other applicants? Matthew, you are on mute if you are speaking. All right, Matthew might also be having connectivity issues, but Ryan, uh, I pose the same question to you. Yeah, I can take a stab a stab at it. And Matthew, go ahead and jump in if you are able. To. Uh, I think that, you know, yeah, it's the elephant in the room, right? Grayscale has had a publicly traded Bitcoin trust for many years now that has amassed a large amount of AUM. It's in the tens of, of billions in AUM. And, uh, you know, that certainly gives them a head start in gathering assets uh, into, you know, potential ETF. I think you start talking about fee structures and how much it costs to allocate to these. And I know in the conversations that, that we have with financial advisors and with professional investors, they pay a lot of attention to the costs associated with ETFs. I've certainly been in the room and had conversations where they look at fees of, of some of the products uh, that, that we have at Bitwise, which can be higher for more specialty assets. And they simply say, there's no way I'm going to allocate to a fund that has a 2% a fee on assets under management. And I think that's certainly reasonable. I mean, if you think about investing in ETFs, whether it's in your 401k or your traditional account, you're not going to, you're, you're generally speaking, going to choose an ETF that offers a lower management fee if it has access to the same basket of assets or single asset. And so, uh, you know, the, the management fee is certainly one area that's going to play a role, I think, in Grayscale's success. They, I believe, have the highest management fee out there uh, on their ETF as of now. But 
as was mentioned earlier, these can always change over time and often do change over time with ETF fees kind of being a race to the bottom. Uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's good for the investor, uh, obviously puts pressure on the issuers. But, uh, but yeah, Grayscale's had a, had a big head start, you know. Yeah, Jen, if I, if I may jump in here real quick, I was uh, listening earlier to Tom, who was involved with 3IQ in Canada, um, talk um, yesterday, I think. And uh, so, you know, look at precedents, you know, how can this all unfold? And I thought it was super interesting that it, as a parallel to GBTCs, the, the company made is, you know, 3IQ had this kind of private trust, clo- you know, closed trust for Bitcoin. And it came into the space. And when the ETFs arrived, um, it went from being dominant to completely marginalized by the big fund managers who stepped in. And uh, so it could be that a, a transition for GBTC doesn't go as as we expect. It could be, to, to Ryan's point, that fees, I mean, they're at one and a half percent right now. I mean, compare that to zero for a lot of the other ETFs or, you know, between 20 and 40 for some of the others. I mean, that is a big competitive disadvantage for them. So they have a lot of assets and that's a good head start. But will they be keeping those assets once investors can actually leave the trust? Because by design, you it's really hard to get out of GBTC once you get in. Uh, but as an ETF, the doors are open. So it would be really interesting to see how many of those assets find a home elsewhere um, because of the fees themselves? I don't think um, I don't think their spot is guaranteed in this race. Yeah, I, I just add to that that I imagine a lot of investors in in the GBTC product have sizable taxable gains depending on when they you know, first allocated to GBTC uh, since it has been around, I believe, since 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so, you know, that, that might play a factor, uh, you know, perhaps the, the fees aren't, were, or, or you can accept the high fees if you want to avoid taxable gain, for example, that, that certainly is one route that investors could take. So um, I do think that, you know, generally speaking, what we've seen previously with Bitcoin futures ETFs, it was a winner takes most market. Uh, ProShares ETF gathered over a billion dollars in the first, the first day and uh, you know, set records on that front and has dominated the Bitcoin futures ETF market. And so it'll be really interesting to see how how the flows play out in the first few days. And if six months from now or a year from now, if it's become a pretty distributed market share or if the front runner in the first few days holds majority of the market share like ProShare still does with Bitcoin futures. Yeah, you know, this industry struggles so much with the centralization versus decentralization conversation. Of course, there's a very decentralized ethos pulling away from that traditional uh, financial structure. And now we have this event that we've all been waiting for that involves so many big Wall Street banks, involves so many big financial players. It is allowing that those traditional financial players to come and play in the space that said, hey, you know, like, we are completely different from you. and We solve so many so many challenges. I would love to hear all three of your perspectives on that. Does this uh, introduce more? Well, I guess it does introduce more centralization. And how, how are you looking at that? Is that a positive or a negative for the space? And Matthew, I'm going to come back to you just to see um, if we can hear you and you can hear us. If you don't go off mute in while I'm speaking, I'm going to kick that back up to Cynthia, it seems that Matthew is still having technical issues. Cynthia, uh, talk to me about how you're thinking about this. 
Yeah, it's a, the beauty of the whole crypto space. Uh, the appeal is this whole, uh, you know, no sheriff in town kind of feeling and uh, regulation and 3000 pages of SEC documents feels like the opposite of that. Um, so it, it really is kind of a, a strange conflict of, of ideas coming in place. But, you know, the truth is, if you are a crypto investor and, and you have your digital wallet and you or you have your Bitcoin in cold storage and none of this changes any of it for you. In fact, it, it broadens the access to other parts, other types of investors, let's say, and it could benefit the price of Bitcoin if you think of just your classic supply demand story. Supply is limited. If you're going to bring in more investors, demand is going to go up. That could only be positive for price over time. So as a as a true crypto diehard believer, this literally doesn't matter to you. Uh, it could actually be a net positive for you. And you continue in your, you know, decentralized world um, as you were. Uh, I think the as much as this is different than the natural ethos of, of the crypto space, um, it really is, It's and I've heard this word used a lot, um, but is the concept of the bridge. It's bridging that TradFi to DeFi in a way that's constructive for everybody. So for example, if you're a hedge fund out there, you can't access spot Bitcoin. Uh, you can't do that through, through broker dealers. You can't uh, play in that space. But now with an ETF, you can actually go you know, uh, long spot, short futures or, or the opposite, or you, you can play around with this stuff. So it opens a whole new type of investing. It opens all sorts of trading opportunities. It opens all sorts of hedging opportunities other than bringing in the big institutions, other than bringing the advisory channel. So I think at the end of the day, this is an access story. ETFs as a structure are about access it uh, it does put in regulation into that conversation more so than maybe we we wish to see as a pure crypto story, but I think it's a net positive. I think it's uh, it's going to open the doors for a lot of people to do a lot of things they couldn't before uh, in the crypto space in a more regulated, more oversight uh, protected way, if you will. I guess on the centralization piece, you know, given that these large entities can can and will hoard Bitcoin now, does that uh, does that uh, issue a concern for you, Ryan? I mean, if I take off my traditional finance hat, I've, I've worked in traditional finance for 10 plus years. And, and, you know, obviously we kind of play that bridge role at Bitwise, having one foot in each world. I think that I can I can certainly sympathize with those of us who came into crypto really focused on decentralized technology and it in an untethered you know non-sovereign store value that's separated from the traditional financial system i think from that point of view there's a little bit of uh, a, a stomach turning that happens when you see these big names like a blackrock or fidelity or uh, jp morgan getting into the crypto space but broadly speaking it doesn't worry me i mean these are uh these are Firms that are working with regulated third-party custodians. There are a lot of protections that come from structured fund products that don't exist on offshore exchanges like FTX, for example. And so in a lot of ways, this brings some regulatory framework and some uh, safeguards into place for traditional investors that I think they really appreciate. And I, it doesn't worry me so much that a, that a, a big organization is going to hoard a bunch of Bitcoin because really they're just taking in dollars 
purchasing spot Bitcoin and holding it with a third party custodian on behalf of those investors in a given fund. And if those investors want to, uh, you know, exit the fund and, and if that's what, what seems to happen, they'll sell that Bitcoin back onto the market. So I think this just brings more capital into the space. It brings more demand for Bitcoin into the space. Bitcoin is a commodity. Its price is based on supply and demand. And this is a rather large demand shock that I think we'll see play out over a multi-year period. And we saw the same thing happen with gold ETFs back in the early 2000s, where the first gold ETF was listed in Australia in 2003, and then in the US in 2004. And then we saw a 10-year period where gold experienced double-digit returns uh, almost every year following that. And really, the price of gold is you know, somewhat skyrocketed following those ETF listings. And I think we could see something similar happen with Bitcoin now that we're unlocking all this demand. And then you have other catalysts like the halving coming up this year, which a lot of people aren't talking about because they're so focused on the ETF. So it, it doesn't worry me. It actually excites me quite a bit that um, that we're now in, you know, going to see a lot more investment opportunity in the space for majority of wealth in America. I want to do a quick price check now. Bitcoin remaining relatively unchanged, $45,743 right now, down almost 0.3%. But what's interesting here is Ether is up almost 7%, $2,522. We saw Ether pump over the last few days. People are now talking about a spot Ether ETF. Cynthia, you and I have spoken about this on First Mover. but. are you surprised to see the price of Ether pumping so soon after the Bitcoin approval? And what's it going to take for us to get a spot ETH ETF? I think surprise is a word I don't even know. Uh, I think it's going to be redefined after this week. I think nothing surprises anymore. And at the same time, everything's a surprise. Uh, but uh, I I believe that is the natural progression here for, for a spot Ether ETF to be what follows next. I mean... We went from futures Bitcoin to, you know, spot Bitcoin. Futures Ether is already okay, so why not spot Ether? I can't imagine what's the argument for that not to be approved. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, isn't there, like, I think there's a deadline, the next deadline for any conversation about spot Ether comes in mid-May um, for on a couple of filings. If I remember correctly, I'd have to go look that up. But uh, I think we may have some peace here for the next couple months, but then we'll probably be talking about the race to spot Ether ETF um, late spring, early summer. That's my guess, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Ryan, what, do, what are your thoughts? What's your outlook on a spot Ether ETF or maybe even another asset? Yeah, it, it, it's now that we have this kind of landmark moment where we you know, have spot Bitcoin ETFs, I think that opens the door for other crypto asset ETFs in the future. It certainly raises the probability, I think, that uh, we could see spot ETH ETFs in the in the future and other crypto assets. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we'll see one this year. Uh, it's kind of still up for grabs. I think everyone's been so focused on the Bitcoin ETF, and there's a lot of uh, distinct nuances, obviously, between Bitcoin and Ethereum, and those will have to be taken into account and. Uh, the market is not as mature for Ethereum as it is for Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin's been around since 2009, Ethereum since 2015. And so that definitely plays into uh, how mature the market is. And if the SEC is comfortable at that point with 
spot uh, Ethereum ETFs. But you know, the the win that uh, Ripple experienced with XRP in courts earlier this year, the the win that Grayscale experienced with uh, their lawsuit with the SEC earlier this year, I think certainly provides some tailwinds for potential other ETFs to be uh, issued in the future around crypto assets. And it's, you know, that that's really exciting. And I think there's a lot of attention clearly spinning to Ethereum. I was surprised to see the price of Ethereum up, what, 7% uh, or whatever it is right now. Uh, following the announcement with the price of Bitcoin kind of trading flat, that, that definitely surprises me. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about this rotation of interest going from Bitcoin into Ethereum as soon as we do have approvals. And perhaps we're seeing that play out live in front of us. And uh, or perhaps until we have actual listing of spot Bitcoin ETFs after the S1s are approved, maybe that's when we'll see if Bitcoin price react, if we do see a reaction there. Uh, of course, there's always the, there's always the po- possibility that these approvals were priced in to Bitcoin. It's been at the forefront of news for the past six months. So uh, really interesting to see the market dynamics playing out live here. All right, we are coming to an end uh, in our conversation. If you have any questions, please raise your hand. Our wonderful host, Casey, who is manning the Coindesk account, will alert me and we'll bring you up on stage to ask Ryan and Cynthia your questions. While we get those questions ready, Cynthia, going to throw it to you for some final thoughts here. What does this next step mean for crypto as a whole? So I uh, I think in a in very broad sense uh, what today and and assuming the launch of these products as, as early as tomorrow potentially with these S one approvals that are upcoming um, it, it really is a, an access story so the access story has been solved um, now that the ETF as a structure opens up access to to crypto to a much larger audience. Uh, it's. I think the next would be will go from from access to now focus on adoption and evolution, right? So it would be really interesting to see who actually shows up and buys these funds. Is it going to be uh, the advisory channel? Is it going to be primarily institutional? Is it going to be the trading community and you know using it for for hedging tools or or whatever? Um, and once that adoption, we, we get a, a better taste of what that looks like, then what's the next evolution of these products? And, and we're already starting to, to pick up clues about that, you know, the concept of in leverage and inverse Bitcoin exposure or uh, options overlays on, on Bitcoin, um, all sorts of income plays. I think once this race settles a little bit and we kind of get a ranking, we're going to start seeing the next wave of product development, which could be really exciting. And I think, you know, just overall, it just grows this conversation about crypto exponentially. So the the education around it, the the curiosity around it, hopefully will grow too. And, you know, it, it should help fuel uh, the technology development, the blockchain, tokenization, all of these things that are associated with Bitcoin, um, I think have so much upside potential now for exploration, conversation, development, growth, um, now that we have solved that access piece. So I think it's really exciting. I think we should, we should see a lot of, of new crazy ideas pop up. So I wouldn't anybody, I wouldn't take a long vacation because I think this train is not stopping anytime soon. We all need a long vacation, though. 
before, before no argument there. I know, right? We all deserve it. Every single person in this space deserves that vacation after the saga that led up to this. Uh, Ryan, before I kick it to you for your final thoughts, I want to remind everyone that we do have some time for questions to both of our guests, Ryan and Cynthia. So don't be afraid to raise your hand. Our host will make sure we see you and bring you up on stage. But Cynthia, I do have a follow-up question for you. Who do you think um, is going to come forward and participate in these ETFs? You listed you listed out potential uh, folks, potential entities, but where, where do you think the majority of interest is going to come from? That's a great question. Um, you know, it, I like to look at precedents for that kind of stuff because it's really a guessing game for, for anyone. And it's interesting that I was just looking earlier today at Canada versus Brazil, and it's been completely different paths. So the Canadian market, everybody thought it would come from the advisory space, and it was a big institutional play. It was a big, like, first wave was mutual funds chasing alpha, uh, not really, you know, advisors. The Brazilian story where they've had five Bitcoin ETFs for, I think, three years now, it's completely different. It's been all advisory channel. Um, like 80% of advisors there own Bitcoin ETFs today. So there really is not a lot of, it could, it could be anybody's game in the U.S. Um, I think traditionally, though, I, I don't know. It's, I would be surprised if advisors move very fast here because, you know, most advisors, I mean, they're fiduciaries. So the decisions they make. Their fiduciary decisions, they have to stand by them, they have to explain them, and they have to defend them. Uh, I think the learning curve here is huge. There's a lot of you know product to look at. So I don't think this is going to be uh, an adoption that happens overnight. I think it will come. I think it will be huge, but I think it will take a little bit of time. I don't know if institutions move faster. I've heard numbers like... You know, we could probably see $2 billion come in in one day from hedge funds uh, that have been on the sidelines waiting for this type of access. So it could be that the initial flow is both seed, you know, like the billions of dollars that we're here in BlackRock is going to bring in tomorrow and hedge fund trading money. Um, and the other, the institution advisor space a little slower, but it's a little bit anyone's guess at this point. Maybe, Ryan, you have more more uh, visibility into it based on your conversations with the channels. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's going to, we're going to have to see where the, where the interest comes from. I know that there's a lot of hedge funds out there that have already had access or, or have been comfortable taking access to, to Bitcoin through futures markets or other means. And so I really think that the interest in the spot Bitcoin ETF will come from financial advisors that are either part of, uh, you know, traditional wirehouses, the Morgan Stanley's of the world, uh, that have not been able to access Bitcoin or crypto assets more broadly because, you know, for, for most financial advisors, uh, they require com the compliance stamp from the organization they're associated with to invest in crypto. So they, they trade on a platform that things need to be approved by the compliance department before they can access them. A lot of those compliance departments around the U.S. have uh, have really not allowed access to crypto. I mean, some have allowed access to crypto equities. The the Coinbase's and Bitcoin miners of the world, and a few have provided access to Bitcoin or Ethereum. Uh, but more broadly speaking, most of the you know professional advisors in America, which really manage around eighty percent of wealth in America, just haven't been able to access it. And so I think institutional investors, professional investors, the mom and pop financial advisors and RAs, 
Uh, and, and then, you know, a lot of retail investors, like a lot of retail investors weren't comfortable allocating to crypto on centralized exchanges or certainly through decentralized exchanges in self-custody. And so, um, you know, interested to see where these flows come from. I think it'll be from a variety of sources, though, and I believe mostly come from financial advisors and RAs. All right. I said we were wrapping up, but I lied a little bit. Sorry, everyone. We're just going to have a few more minutes here, but I have to introduce Nick Day to the stage. Nick is on First Mover with me almost every day, not every single day. He's an award-winning journalist who covered the Sam Bankman fried trial. He even issued some of the best court animation, court drawings that I've ever seen in my life. Nick's been following the ETF story very closely as well. And Nick, uh, during this conversation, I've seen Slack messages flying across my screen. Uh, what's the update? A lot can happen in an hour. What's what's going on? Hey, yeah, sorry. I just jumped in at the end here. So uh, not sure what all you've discussed today, but obviously the ETFs are approved. And you know, right now we're just waiting on a couple last filings before we you know know for sure that a, things are going to be char- uh, trading tomorrow, and B, what's trading. So, you know, for example, we're just waiting for the SEC to uh, deem the S1 filings effective, get those out, and then for the issuers to say, okay, yeah, we're ready to go. We're going to file something and say uh, we're beginning trading, you know, open our business open on Thursday, January 11th. So lots happened, but quite a bit left to go. All right. On that note, Ryan, I'm going to kick it off to you. What does this next step mean for the industry at large? It's huge. Honestly, it's huge. This is, uh, you know, this isn't the the last step for crypto for Bitcoin at all. This is actually one of the first steps, I believe, to continuing to see Bitcoin grow from an adoption standpoint. I mean, Cynthia talked about how this unlocks access, which is which is huge and will help mature crypto as an asset and continue to bring it to the forefront in a lot of investors' minds. And so, yeah, it's just a really big moment. There's a lot of exciting things ahead for for Bitcoin and for crypto as a whole. I think we're only 15 years or so into uh, into this story. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more ground to cover and a lot more to to achieve. And so I think a lot of people look at this, this spot Bitcoin ETF approval as one of the final kind of end game moments and the final achievements. But I know that uh, I'm certainly looking at it and us a bit wise are looking at it like it's the uh, the first or, or second inning of, of the game still. And so really excited for what's ahead and for other crypto assets to be able to finally be accessed by professional investors and for just increased adoption. And, uh, you know, this regulatory stamp approval on Bitcoin certainly will drive that. So really excited about today and and about uh, this moment. All right, I'm going to do one last price check. Bitcoin is up almost a percent. I know everyone was was thinking it was going straight to the moon. It's at 45,919 and Ether up over 8% now, 2,518. Nick, I'm going to give you the last word here. Were you surprised to see such little price action uh, when it comes to Bitcoin after this approval? You know, we've had a bunch of analysts talk to our journalists on Coindesk TV and our journalists who are writing articles for the site, uh, predicting big price movements. And we didn't really see that. Honestly, you know, after yesterday when things went a little haywire after the SEC Twitter account was hacked, I guess I'm a little less surprised than I might otherwise have been that there was not much action. But I'm going to be honest, I have zero idea what Bitcoin's price is doing at any given moment in time. So, that yeah, I'm just a guy with a cup of coffee here. Aren't we all? Aren't we all just people with a cup of coffee trying to make sense 
of this industry. I want to thank everyone who listened to the Twitter spaces. Thank you so much for joining us. It doesn't look like we have any questions, but if you come up with a question or you want to find more information about what's going on in the ETF space, you can always head on over to coindesk.com. If you love listening to this, I host First Mover every morning. You can watch that on Coindesk TV and Markets Daily on the Coindesk podcast network. Now I'm going to use this time to do a little bit of shameless promotion here. If you were here, you enjoyed this conversation. We're going to have a ton more conversations just like this at Consensus 2024 in Austin, Texas. It is our big tent event where we talk about the future of the industry and to celebrate the Bitcoin ETF approval and to inspire more people to dive into the world of crypto. So there's a little bit of a BOGO sale. Who doesn't love a sale to celebrate the uh, ETF approval today? You can use this code ETF50. That's going to get you a full pass and then another full pass half off. So buy one, get one half off. I feel like I'm doing a commercial right now. I guess I am kind of. The code is ETF50 during your checkout and that will get you to Austin, Texas so that you can listen to, participate in and watch more conversations like this. So we'll see you on Coindesk.com. We'll see you on Coindesk TV. Thanks so much for listening in everyone and we hope you have a great evening. spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC, out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.